0: This week on episode 527 of Priority One, William Shatner returns to Earth. New York Comic Con returns and includes some amazing Star Trek announcements. Los Angeles has a new Star Trek destination and things get spooky in Star Trek Online, plus our review of the season two finale of Lower Decks. You're listening to a
1: Roddenberry podcast.
2: One. And now your hosts.
3: Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 527 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, October 13th, and available for download or streaming on Friday, October 15th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Roscoe. Did you all have a good weekend?
4: Yes.
0: I My weekend was fine. It was uneventful. Uh, The highlight of my week was finally getting myself uh, the Gagarin Mirror Warship in Star Trek Online. I finally played enough of the event to get that. I haven't spent the time to fully load it out and kit it up yet. So that's a project for this week, which I'm very much looking forward to. But it doesn't matter about my weekend. How was your weekend, Elio?
3: Oh, it was fun. It was a good time. I spent Saturday at New York Comic Con, which uh, we'll get into during our Trek it out segment where we'll review the uh, Star Trek Discovery panels, Prodigy, and more. So I'm looking forward to talking and filling you all in about that.
0: Hear that, cat? Do you hear that? Do you hear that, cat? No, no, no. Do you hear that, cat? Just how casual he throws out the fact that oh, I just went to a convention. You know, it's (laughs) no big thing. (laughs) True,
4: I did notice. (laughs) Well,
0: before we jump into the news, we want to welcome new listeners to the show, and we hope you'll stay in touch. You see, this show is produced by a community of volunteers who all donate their time and their talents because, like you, they are passionate about what Star Trek is all about.
4: So we hope you'll get involved and be a part of our community. Follow us on social media so you can share your thoughts about the weekly headlines. Join the Armada so that you can experience Star Trek gaming with like-minded Trekkies or consider joining the team and lending your skills and passion to producing this very show.
3: And like Roscoe said just a moment ago, we are in fact a group of volunteers. This is very much organized like one would a community theater group. No one gets paid for the work that they contribute or do on the show. We all are just passionate Trekkies. And with your help via a platform like Patreon.com, we can continue to produce the quality content you've come to expect each and every week. Because as I say, I the end of every show without you none of this would be possible so this week if you're a patreon supporter at the ten dollar and up level you'll see that uh, i uploaded a bunch of stuff from new york comic-con that we hope that you'll enjoy so if you haven't considered it we encourage you to visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash priority one and find out about all the cool perks we have to offer and remember you can donate as little as a dollar a month and if many of you contribute a dollar that goes a long way to making sure we can continue to improve this show
0: now, let's find out what's been happening in the Star Trek multiverse. places. Then let's Trek it out. Space, the final frontier, and our first captain, James T. Kirk, went on an incredible journey. Well, it was William Shatner who did the journey. On Wednesday, October 13, the 90-year-old broke records by joining Blue Origin for their second human space trip. At 10.30am Eastern Time, all systems were a go, and the Blue Origin rocket took off. Thankfully, the entire adventure went off without a hitch, and upon exiting the pod, Shatner was
3: visibly moved by the entire experience so I was able to catch the live stream of the entire launch and I gotta say I was kind of on the edge of my seat
4: I, I was too I watched it live too and I you know you kind of hold your breath when it gets to the 10 nine <laughs> you know
3: right right I mean let's let's be real here <laughs> they're they're on a rocket with you know a lot of fuel beneath them uh and anything can go wrong I mean you know we are in a generation that has that has seen two terrible terrible accidents happen. And yeah, I mean, I, I was, I, you know, it was, this was one of those moments where I was like, please no, nothing go wrong. Nothing go wrong. Nothing go wrong. And it was a beautiful experience. It was just phenomenal.
4: Yeah. You know, it lasted less amount of time than I thought it would. Than I the build-up. Yeah. I'm like, wait, they just fly up and come right back down. That's yeah, it.
0: Yeah. There's this beautiful photo that I've seen of one of those moments where it's it's Bill Shatner and he's looking out the window and you can see the curvature of the earth. You can see the different layers of atmosphere out the window and he's just staring out the window and it's just a really, it's a lovely human moment because we, we can all sort of put ourselves there with him. We're right there beside him in that moment, looking out on our planet and just going, there it all is. There's everything. The rest of the world, the whole population of the planet, it's there below. Right. And it's it's just a really special little moment, and I I really just it, I was heartened by that, and it was nice to hear it, it how profoundly it affected Shatner as well.
3: Right, I was just about to say that you know he is you know an articulate man, and it was interesting to see how moved he was uh, after the experience. I mean, he got out of the pod, and you know the was embraced by Jeff Bezos, and you know had a little mini interview there and again it was it was interesting to see how impacted he was by it right he was at a loss for words yet you know still managed to to kind of you know really articulate the experience right what you know what i found interesting was how he described the blue blanket you know how the skies above us are so very comforting and how jarring it was to go from blue to black right and then be on the other side of that and then see him move to tears by it i mean it was just uh, I I felt with him, you know. I felt for him, with him. I wanted to be him. I wanted to be up in space and experience that. Th- he got a little morbid uh, in a moment when he was like the darkness and death and the- just looking into the void. And I was like, okay, all right, Bill. It's just you know, it was it's a beautiful experience. Let's just try to remember oh. that. Let's try to remember that it was mm-hmm. you know, it's, be- it's the majesty of life. Um, but you know, overall, I just was a, a, a incredible experience to watch live for sure.
4: Absolutely. Well, you definitely pictured yourself in the, you know, cr- with the crew, those moments right before liftoff, you definitely picture yourself there. And yeah, his words were so, um, you know, like you said, articulate and, and heartfelt and wow, just an amazing thing to say about the experience, you know, that and he said he hoped he never loses that, mo- you know, the, that feeling right. of what it was like.
3: You know, it was funny actually watching him in the car, you know, he was like squeezed in between these two people and the on the ride to the the launch pad and I, I don't know I, maybe it was just me but I thought that you could see in his face the sheer terror that was <laughs> he was experiencing <laughs> because he was just sitting there just just kind of like glazed over I yeah I I could only imagine how frightening <laughs> the lead up to that is well that's the thing it's all the the build up
0: and the promotion to it let's talk about it let's um let's celebrate what's about to happen and then suddenly you're in the car on the road driving towards the rocket where you, it will take you into space and all of a sudden you go, oh it's, it's actually real, it's happening yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, oh, Okay.
4: Yeah. it just stresses me thinking out about thinking it, about it, right? it. God, I couldn't do it, I'd be like could you just give me some volume or something please?
3: You know something else that surprised me was the size of the penis I thought it was going to be bigger but when you see That's people she said <laughs> When, when you see the, you know the crew walking toward it and the car pulling up beside it, that thing is kind of small.
0: Well, it's not the size <laughs> of the rocket, Elio. It's what you do with it, and I think that's what's more important. I think there was also a missed opportunity as well because they could have taken one of those Madison chairs and modified it and actually turned Shatner's chair into the captain's chair. <laughs> Let's be honest: if it's backed by Jeff Bezos, he's got the money it's to do that. True. He's probably got a hundred of those chairs in a warehouse Mm -hmm. somewhere that you can, if you find the right page, you can click and you can order it. So
3: I think that's a missed opportunity. Agreed, agreed. New York Comic Con returned to in-person events this year with a phenomenal slate of panels, incredible cosplay, and of course, sneak peeks into the future of Star Trek. Our focus this episode is on the Star Trek Discovery and Prodigy panels that took place over this last weekend. First, Star Trek Discovery and its upcoming fourth season. Now, this was a riveting panel with a surprising in-depth, yet spoiler-free look into what we can expect from our intrepid characters. When asked about the general theme of this next season Wilson Cruz had this to say
2: I feel like the stakes that we were living in reads in that trailer right like that we that this you know the stakes in the story were really high but the stakes in which we were making and telling the story were also high and the theme of the entire season is about uncertainty and about how we come together to deal with it and walk through uncertainty and lean on each other as we find a way through it and we were doing that in life as well, so uh, I'm excited for all of you to see it.
3: Showrunner Michelle Paradise followed up by explaining that in this season, quote, the Federation isn't quite back together again. It's continuing in season four. End quote. For our first non-binary and trans characters, much was left wanting in season three. So, will Grey finally be seen? Well, Wilson Cruz had this to say.
2: So, um, we we find a way to make sure that Grey is seen, um, as promised and, um, and we get to see just how vital he becomes to the story and to our mission and I'm just excited about the fact that we have finally an official trans character on the show in Star Trek in the universe and he does an amazing job and I can't wait for you guys to see it.
4: Now things got a little spicy in the auditorium when Sinequa Martin-Green and David Ajala were asked if we'd ever learn about what happened between their characters during that fateful year. Here's what they had to say.
1: I, I think it was just um, it was a period of time where they were just in the right place at the right time to help each other, to bring out the best in each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, y'all need to behave yourselves. <laughs> And um, I think there was a lot of growth.
2: How much growth was there? (laughs) And what was Grudge doing when all this growing was happening?
1: (laughs) Grudge was minding their own business. (laughs) Um, The timing was perfect for Michael Burnham to join, rejoin Starfleet, but to really find her own identity independent um, Starfleet. And then it was also good for Cleveland Booker, you know, to be part of a family, quote unquote. Um, again, these two people make each other the right place at the right time, and I think Cleveland Booker is a better man for it. And Grudge, too. Grudge says what's up, by the way.
4: Speaking of characters, if you've already watched the trailer, and you should have by now, links will be in our show notes, you can probably assume this is going to be a high-octane, high-stakes kind of season. How will Tilly be affected? Mary Wiseman had this to say. that in combination with all the events of the third season similar to the way maybe this pandemic experience has affected us all really kind of forced her to like reinvestigate herself and her motivation so it kind of spirals her off into this personal uh, journey
2: actually which is um, was very fun
4: to play with Sonequa Martin-Green followed with I think a lot of us um, in the you know on the ship I I think I can speak for for all the characters when I say I I don't think any of us were expecting to have a threat this big so soon after jumping to this future because that was huge, and then I know at least for uh, for Burnham, it's 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 a lot. It's like man, um, here here we are again with a, with a threat of, of 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 great great magnitude, and so of course you know these people um, in this story, being the honorable people that they are, uh, you know their true character comes out at that moment of greatest pressure, and it's a it's beautiful stuff comes out as hard as it might be. But filming season four during a pandemic. Was no small feat. When asked about how COVID impacted production, Michelle Paradise had this to say: "Discovery was actually
1: one of the first productions to go back. Uh, we we started back in November, and certainly we were the first show of this size to do it. And as there, I, I, there aren't enough words to talk about." Um, the tremendous, tremendous effort that uh, that our entire crew, our entire cast, did to make the show the season. I, I I cannot possibly overstate how challenging it was. Just uh, at every step of the way, um, making sure that we could make a show like this uh, while keeping people safe, and that being our focus. And then and then also making a show uh, in uh, in that um, it was tremendously challenging, and everyone came together and. Uh, uh, worked together and collaborated and it, it was it was really beautiful to see and and very difficult uh, At the same time and uh, you know the, the fact that we have this that we can show you guys and it's it's really amazing Our, our team is just incredible. They're just
4: incredible yeah. Star Trek Discovery Season 4 premieres November 18th.
0: Now moving on to Star Trek Prodigy. Attendees of the panel were given an
4: exclusive
0: early screening of the first episode and an extended clip of Hollow Janeway's introduction to the crew is already online. But moderator Dawn Lewis, who plays Captain Freeman on Lower Decks, opened the panel with an important question. How will Prodigy stay true to the franchise? To which the brothers Hegeman replied. They start way out in the Delta Quadrant way at we wanted that it was our way in we wanted a bunch of new characters who knew nothing about Star Trek just like our young audience and slowly as you saw at the very end of the pilot they meet hologram Janeway and then with every other episode we get closer and closer into the Trek verse and we get to have so much fun taking our time and introducing everything we love about Star Trek For for me growing up Trek was just so aspirational and I feel like not only for kids today that they need that I need that now what about the style of prodigy why CGI animation well producer Ben Hibben explained we wanted the show to have great scope and this feeling of adventure to be immense and and fantastical but at the same time the characters and their stories is very intimate uh and so we wanted just the freedom to be able to shoot these characters as we would in the most cinematic way possible uh, to be as engaging with all of us as we go on this adventure with them yeah. you know not only did fans get a sneak peek but we were surprised to learn of new characters and actors being welcomed into the production Dovey diggs will voice commander tysis an andorian Diggs is a grammy and tony award-winning member of the original broadway cast of hamilton jamila jamil will voice Ensign Ascensia, a trill. DeMille is best known for her role in The Good Place. And Jason Alexander will voice Dr. Noom, a tellerite. Of course, we know Jason as George Costanza on Seinfeld and Kuros in the Voyager episode Think Tank. And the big reveal, well, we'll let the Hagman brothers tell you. Oh, wait, there's one other person. There's one small person small. named Captain Chakotay by Robert, Robert Beltram. Beltram
2: it's coming on our show.
0: So, will we see the protostar traverse the alpha and beta quadrants as well as spending time in the delta? Only time will tell. The series will premiere on October 28th.
3: So, Saturday was the day that I went to New York Comic Con and unfortunately I missed the Prodigy panel because uh, Hotels.com booked me in a hotel that has been closed for two years. So, <laughs> so um, oh, you know, I, there was it was it was just too much for me to you know take the mass transit home to then try to make it back in time the next day, um, especially that I was out late on Saturday. But uh, I'll tell you what that the discovery panel was electrifying. It was refreshing to be in a room again with so many people, and the actors on stage were just so engaging. Anthony Rap was in rare form. I mean, it was just he was so alive and and. and and uh, punchy. It was just really refreshing to see. They were all excited. You could tell that they seemed to have missed the energy from the fans as well. So, yeah, I mean, that trailer was high octane it's the only way I can describe it it was just explosion and and crises and high stakes and wormholes and black holes and oh my you know it was just uh, incredibly incredibly explosive as far as the prodigy panel goes I did have access to the virtual ticket and again you know we covered most of the key things there but you can tell that Kate Mulgrew is behind this she wholeheartedly believes that Star Trek can reach a younger audience and hopefully in part on them the values that we as adults have taken away from the franchise uh, throughout our lives so yeah overall you know New York Comic Con was just electrifying There, were, there were, I didn't feel like there were a lot and like an incredible amount or an uncomfortable amount of people given COVID the cosplay was just phenomenal this year. People had, you know, not just Star Trek cosplay, but, you know, other franchises and whatnot. It was just kind of nice to experience that again in such a you know, in a metropolis like like New York City.
4: Yeah, I mean, it was not just the Star right. Trek convention. There was other right. stuff, too. Anything in particular that you saw that was amazing, any specific cosplay? I mean, I saw, I think the winners was Outlander an uh, Outlander cosplay.
3: No, but... there was nothing that really stood out. Um, You know, there was a dude dressed as Thor that I, that's st- like the The guy was just a splitting image of Chris Hemsworth.
4: Ooh, hey.
3: (laughs) But, uh, you know, a bunch of Loki variants and things like that. However, I did go to my first drag show. Nice. It was the Lower Decks Party at Barracuda, hosted by uh, Heather Wood. And Anne-Marie Siegel, who works with uh, The Seventh Rule, is also a part of it. They, The, the organization that kind of supports this is called To Boldly Go, and they raise funds for uh, Broadway Cares. So every Saturday, they have a viewing party for Lower Decks, right? And it's free. You can go. And it's at uh, Barracuda Lounge. Bar in New York City down on Twenty uh, Second Street, and I gotta say it was really fun. It was really fun, and they, they had a lot more people come this weekend because of New York Comic Con. But the performances were great, funny, you know, very witty. Uh, Heather Wood plays her, you know, her character is, is Jane Way essentially. So you know, a lot of lip syncing hey. to Jane Way and little clips from Voyager and whatnot. Um, yeah, for, for my first drag show, it was uh, quite an experience, and uh, I would go back. I would certainly go back. They don't know yet if they are going to continue when uh, Discovery and or Prodigy premiere, but I certainly hope they do. I think that these kind of uh, gatherings uh, are important for this for the franchise, right? To, to help foster community, and everyone there was incredibly welcoming. Incredibly welcoming and just eager to share the experience with whoever was willing and open to it.
4: That sounds awesome.
3: So, if you happen to live in New York City and you are a fan of Star Trek, I encourage you to check out the uh, drag shows that happen on Saturday nights at Barracuda Lounge. And again, thank you to Heather Fantastic. Wood and the team of uh, To Proudly Go for welcoming me there and uh, welcoming everyone who was uh, who was invited to go from New York Comic Con.
0: That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. That
4: sounds so fun. So how about the panel that uh, you were doing, Elio? How did that go?
3: Yeah, it went really well. We After the Discovery panel, we went right downstairs to our room and kind of got set up. We the, the topic was how Star Trek teaches us to be a better community not just in person but virtually how to engage with one another uh, on social media and online I was with Sue and Kennedy from Women at Warp and we each selected two episodes from Star Trek to kind of pull some anecdotes from and compare how they treated community in in that episode Uh, then we went off to talk about you know online communities I was able to uh, you know talk up the the Armada uh, how involved the Armada is with the community and actually we had one person that was like oh you know I'd love to sign up can I get you know some more information so that was really interesting it was really fun we had a nice crowd of people and we got to talking about some really important things for the community how to treat each other online how to treat each other in person how to get involved uh, what groups there are to be a part of yeah it was it was a fun conversation that is also being shared to our patrons uh, the video of that panel so uh, if you're a patron at the $10 and up level you can go ahead and view that panel on uh, patreon it's
0: lucky that you're such a snazzy dresser because I can only imagine the pressure of coming straight off the Discovery panel and following that up straight after. Just because the folks from the Discovery crew just look like fashion icons. Well, I saw a group photo and they're all immaculately dressed. It's it's like, well, there's my fashion goals. There's my new fashion goals. And everyone else just looks amazing. So it's just lucky that you are such a snazzy dresser that you could keep <laughs> up with that level <laughs> of fashion.
3: I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, I want to do a blazer with uh, different Star Trek prints. and uh, So I, if you... If if you happen to listen to the show and you are a tailor or a seam seamster, a person that can yeah, a person that can sew, tailor, and has experience doing blazers, reach out to me because I am interested in commissioning a blazer with some Star Trek prints on it. So, incoming at priority on podcast
0: What were your two episodes where you talked about community?
3: So I chose I right because that's very much about. Uh, Role reversal, right? Putting yourself in the other person's shoes, uh, and I chose the wounded actually as my other one.
4: The wounded. Yeah. So.
3: The one
4: with. That uh, so the
3: is wounded that? is the episode with O'Brien where uh, Captain Maxwell is pretty much going on a killing rampage, Cardassian oh, uh, killing yeah. rampage. And I know that that episode is very much more a, a you know a conversation about PTSD and and you know what happens after war. But what I pulled from it was how Picard handled Maxwell's cognitive dissonance. Right, Maxwell just was in his own world and spewing a lot of this toxicity, and Picard handles it like a champ. And even O'Brien kind of grows from that. So yeah, the wounded might have been a stretch, but I think that the point was about. You know, what happens when you are dealing perhaps with a Trekkie that spews a lot of bigoted, hateful things, but still calls himself a Trekkie. You know, it's just very, you know, the the, the juxtaposition just doesn't quite match up, right? So, yeah, I, again, I encourage you, if you're a Patreon uh, supporter, to watch that panel. And again, thanks to Sue and uh, Kennedy. Thanks to Sue especially, because uh, she bought her laptop and, you know, had the projector up and was very organized about the whole panel. So thank you very much.
4: Well, you may not have been able to attend a convention yet this year, or at all this year, but the Star Trek Exploring New Worlds exhibit has opened at Los Angeles' Skirball Cultural Center, and it runs through February 20th, 2022, so you have plenty of chances to check it out. It features rare props and costumes from the past 55 years of Star Trek, including costumes worn by Patrick Stewart, Leonard Nimoy, and Nichelle Nichols. There's also a phaser from the original series, which is just one of the two known to exist. A model of a Cube and the head of the Gorn that Captain Kirk fought in the 1967 episode, The Arena. The exhibit combines New Trek and Old Trek featuring the open... <laughs> If I screw up Montalban again... Montalban. <laughs> Don't forget
0: that L. Montalban. Don't forget that L there. Montalban. I
4: was already tri- tricking myself up. Okay. The exhibit combines New Trek and Old Trek featuring both the open chest Khan tunic worn by Ricardo Montalban in the Wrath of Khan as well as the less revealing costume Benedict Cumberbatch wore in Into Darkness. But the centerpiece of the exhibit is a navigation console operated by Lieutenant Zulu in the original series. The console was badly damaged and missing most of its buttons after 50 years in storage, so the team had the assistance of a group of fans to help put it back to rights. Visitors at the exhibit will also get a chance to act with prop phasers and tricorders in a recreation of the transporter bay. So if you're headed to LA between now and February, be sure to swing by and check out this exhibit.
3: Now here are a few headlines that we didn't discuss but might interest you. Links, of course, will be in our show show notes
0: lost in space the third and final season airs on netflix december 1st 2021 be sure to trek out the new trailer and season one of strange new worlds has wrapped filming anson mount thanks the fans because without them none of this would be possible
4: well captains that's all the news we have to trek out this week now let's find out what happened in the world of star trek gaming
1: High score.
0: It was a moment of pure joy and wonder in season three of Star Trek Discovery. The crew had finally made it to Starfleet headquarters, and there was a fleet of future starships waiting to blow their 23rd century mine. Among the Rainforest ships and speedy escorts was an imposing Neo Constitution style ship, the Kirk class, which now makes its debut in Star Trek Online. The Tier 6 Kirk Temporal Heavy Battle Cruiser will be available as part of the research and development pack promotion from october 13 when you purchase and open an r&d pack from the c store you will receive either 10 lobi crystals or a special requisition choice pack tier 6 promotional ship choice in addition to the r&d pack content This Starship boasts a 5-3 weapon layout and features a Command Engineering Temporal Operative Specialist Bridge Officer Seat and a Lieutenant Commander Universal Flash Command Bridge Officer Seat as well. The Universal console is the field-replicated Buster Pods, and they fire out large enemy-seeking missiles that deal massive kinetic damage. While the Starship trait, Risk Is Our Business, grants captains a stacking amount of temporary hit points per foe within Five this also works in combination with threatening stance, which, if active, will also generate a large amount of threat towards nearby foes, further enticing them to attack
3: you. Uh, you know what? This ship kind of caught my attention. It kind of caught my attention. I'm not much of a temporal officer. That's not one of my specializations. But uh, I kind of like the look of it. And the, the layout is... Decent. I definitely, if I get it, I'm not going to be doing it through the R and will just get the EC some other way and then buy it from the EC from the exchange.
4: Well, yes, you should because keys are selling right now for 10 million oh, EC. Wow. Nice. And that is outrageous. Uh, used to be not that much, but now, yeah, so you can, um, yeah, you know, most most of these type promo ships are the higher end in the EC market on the exchange. You're looking at least a billion EC. So, um, but like I said, you can sell all kinds of stuff to, to start saving up for it.
3: Will you all be getting this ship?
4: Uh, I think I have a list of other ships I'd want before this one, but I definitely like a five-three layout, um, and I actually like temporal uh, bridge officer seating, so it's definitely on my list now. Of if I was going to win a ship or you know save up to buy one, I would. I got a good deal on it. I probably would get it.
0: I would probably roll the dice and on a few R and Ds, pray to R and Jesus and see what comes up. But it's not something I'm going to be hunting for. I'm I'm a little disappointed that there's not a, a commander tactical seat on the battle cruiser. Um, that would have made sense to me, but I guess maybe that's the difference between a battle cruiser and a dreadnought. Uh, I the look of this ship is beautiful. I really like the look of this ship. Uh, it struck me from the moment that I saw it on screen. My immediate thought with most of those ships from the 32nd century was, I can't wait to see how they look in store. Um, so seeing this in the game, and they've done some. A, a fantastic job of, of bringing that to the game that I really applaud the work that's gone into that. It looks impressive and imposing. Um, so yeah, it'll be a, a roll of the dice, I'll have a go, but I, mm, yeah, I, I cross my fingers and hope
3: you see. I like battlecruisers, and so the Arbiter and even the Picard one are a little boxy for me. So I like the style of the Kirk that it's just a little more futuristically curved, and you know, it all. Although the saucer section is a little too oval in the wrong direction for me, I like the sovereign oval, then I do the... I guess I like a portrait oval than I do a landscape oval. If that makes any sense. So this might be something that I might enjoy flying. I mean, the turn rate is comparable to the Fleet Avenger. Um, The seating is also comparable, I suppose, because you don't I don't necessarily have to put a temporal officer in there, right? No, you don't have to.
4: No, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an engineering. I mean, you can just use command engineering. Uh, you know, bridge officer skills. Is it command?
3: Yeah, yeah. So command engineering. I'm just comparing it to the. Okay. Yeah. So overall. I've, you know, I might, I might, you know, find the way to get the EC to then buy it off the exchange. But while we're on the topic of stylish ships, the remastering project of the Star Trek Online fleet continues, with the Nova family getting a crisp new look. The remaster is a from-the-ground-up rebuild, according to lead ship and UI artist Thomas Moroni, who shared the before and after pics in a blog post. The plucky little science ships now have a new, screen-accurate ship material, as well as access to all legendary Legendary Starship Materials.
4: They do look nice. I do like a good science ship.
3: They look great.
4: Yeah, they're pretty awesome looking.
3: Now, what's the history of the Nova? Is it a. Book series ship or was it something on Voyager? Voyager. Oh, okay, okay.
0: That was the crew of the, the Equinox ah, was the first time we'd right. seen a Nova class starship. Right, right. And then we later saw the Rhode Island, uh, which was a Nova class starship captained by Captain Harry Kim in Endgame.
3: I like the the ship. I like it. I like the style of it.
0: It's sleek, it's uh it looks good and uh looking at the before and after pictures the Thomas Maroney was describing, they're now more screen accurate, and the difference is vast in the changes that they've made. They looked fine before, they looked great, but the detail and the attention that's gone to making it more screen accurate, it really pops off the page.
3: It looks like an arrowhead, right? So I like that it's it looks fast. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, it's been about a week since I've claimed the Tier 6 Mirror Gagarin from the equal and opposite event running in Star Trek Online. I claimed the ship on one of my tactical temporal recruits, who's been most most recently flying the mirror warship with phaser cannons. But for this ship, because of the 4-4 weapons layout, I decided to switch it up and try out the agony phaser beams that were also part of the reward from running the event. So far, I'm really enjoying the ship. It's really maneuverable. The base turn rate's 12, which you can obviously modify with some trades or your skill tree or some consoles. And there's definitely a tactical lane to this ship with a commander tactical station, so I probably wouldn't recommend it for a science build, but the projected protomatter console is very interesting. I have noticed, though, that you need to be facing your enemies for this to be very effective. It shoots this cloud of protomatter at your enemies and causes a pretty good amount of damage. I'm still experimenting with the build though, so I may end up swapping out this console for something else. But I wanted to give it a try anyway. I've only just leveled the ship to tier 5 last night, so I haven't had a chance to try out the trait, which is the protomatter precursor trait. But to be honest, I tend to stay away from shield boosting traits since there's a lot of other traits you can slot that I think are more effective, you know, in a build than, you know, say something that's going to boost your shields. You could get more damage or increase shield penetration to your enemies. Uh, But that's just my preference. I know you can set these ships up in a lot of different ways. But all in all, this is a really solid ship, especially for a ship that they give you for free. I mean, we may complain a lot about the ship economy in the game, but Star Trek Online gives out at least two top-tier ships every year to its players, and this ship event was a pleasant surprise. So this year, you know, no, we've got uh, three ships, at least, for free. Uh, plus, you know, this is a mirror ship, and it gives you a lot more opportunities for Space Barbie because when you claim this ship, it comes with the Gagarin and Shepherd skins, so you can mix and match and make it look extra cool. I give this ship an A+. Now,
3: you can buy out the ship with Zen, right? You can go ahead and write. Yeah,
4: you can. The- well, today's the last. I mean, during right. the event, yes. But, yeah, I love this ship. It's nice. Now,
3: I forget. The higher the turn rate, the faster it is, right?
4: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, some... My favorite ships are like 15 and above, but this one is still super quick. You can turn, you know, really quickly. I like to get up close and personal with my enemies, much to my detriment most of the time. (laughs) Hershey warp core breach.
0: I have a couple of characters that run uh, the Fleet Gagarin with uh, the experimental upgrade token as well, and it's it's so good. Uh, I really like the five three layout, so I'm I'm interested to see how the four four layout of uh, weapon layout goes on this Mirror Gagarin. Um, it looks like a solid ship. As I, uh, I've just I've just finally gone through and got it uh, because I have not been playing uh, it as often as I should have been and. Uh, uh, had to finally buy it out otherwise i was going to miss out uh so yeah i'm looking forward to loading loading this sucker up
4: sorry i already thought of some things i want to tweak on this ship just to you know because it's a beam build and i had it set up as cannons before so i still need to make a fair amount of adjustments and there's some rep gear that i need to work on
3: now they call it a warship but it's it's a battle cruiser right like for what it's for all intents and purposes it's a it's a warship because it's mirror but that translates to it being a, a battle cruiser because the. Again, Aaron Miracle Worker uh, is a battle cruiser.
4: Yeah, hold on. Let me look it up. Uh, yeah, wars, they're calling it a warship. The
3: other thing is, I'll ask you this, is, so I haven't had much time to play. As many of you know, I still don't have a car, and so I'm taking mass transit, which take eats up a great deal of my day. Should I buy the ship with Zen?
4: Do you have any other mirror ships? No. Then yes. All right. Because you get some really cool skins, uh, and it's an awesome mirror ship, and it's really cool to have a mirror ship. And if you need a mirror uniform for your captain, I would be happy to send you one, because I have a few. Thank you.
0: And you also get uh, bonus agony phases as well with the ship.
4: Oh, that's right. Those Agony Phasers are real cool. I I might try out some of the cannons. I might try uh, the cannons on my other Mirror Warship that's more suited to cannons. But this one I do like, set up with beams. Um, And those Agony Phasers are pretty good. I don't even have them leveled up and I made it through Argala like lickety split. I mean, I wasn't one-shotting those those guys, but it was maybe three-shotting.
3: Cool. Well, thank you for the report. I clearly need to learn more from you,
0: Cat. I need I need to study at the book of of Cat playing Star Trek online because oh, I'm I'm seven and eight. I shotting, am no, and I I, j- I just need to learn more from you.
4: I am no expert. I just pick up stuff here and there, but I know there's a lot more experience built. I'm now min maxer. I'm like I don't think I've ever broken hundred K in any TF, but uh, I just play for fun and I want to kill stuff fairly quickly. So as long as I'm doing that, I don't really care.
0: <laughs> that wraps up gaming news for this week. Now, let's look on screen to the season finale of Lower Decks Season 2.
1: On screen.
3: Computer. Set Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2 Episode 10 First, First Contact On screen.
4: In the Season 2 finale, the USS Cerritos is assisting the USS Archimedes on a first contact mission. Rutherford keeps getting pop-up error messages, and Mariner has the inside scoop on some news that affects the entire ship and crew.
3: Well, before we get started, let's get some statistics out of the way. This episode was written by Mike McMahon, directed by Jason Zurich, and premiered October fourteenth, twenty twenty-one. Kat, why don't we start with you? What uh, what scenes or sequences from this season finale got you most excited?
4: Okay, well, obviously the most oh my god moment was entering Cetacean Ops. I mean, I did not see that coming at all. That was so good. <laughs> and hilarious the whales i love it no
3: they're dolphins they're dolphins
4: were they i thought citation
3: it would have been funnier it would have been funnier if it would have been whales
4: are you sure they were dolphins because
3: maybe they were like some kind of small like a beluga whale or something. yeah maybe something like that
4: beluga whale
3: big dolphins maybe small ones
4: (laughs) either way they were adorable uh trying to get rutherford in the pool so hot out, you know, Rutherford. Come, take a, Come dip. take a dip. <laughs> yeah,
0: those broad shoulders.
1: <laughs> yeah.
4: I would love to, but there's no time. Um, Oh, and how cool was it? We got to see Sonia Gomez. The minute they, uh, you know, said Captain Sonia Gomez, I'm like, no way. The one who spilled hot chocolate all over Captain Picard. That's the one. So, no, that was a fantastic callback. And how good on her for making Captain. This episode, seat of your, you know, you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. It's just nonstop. What's going on? Oh, my God. We're about to die. It was great.
3: Is there anything you think they could have done differently or delivered, presented differently?
4: Um, There's so much in this. I mean, there was so much. I I don't, yeah, I'm like, no, I never have a good answer to that question. I would not have changed anything that I can think of.
3: Alright, so what about your overall review and statement on the episode?
4: Well, I can't say. I love cliffhanger endings, but wow, way to end, you know, uh, with generating excitement for what happens next. So, this is just, this season has been an amazing example of character development, you know, showcasing what we love about Star Trek and some amazing callbacks. So I I loved this episode. Way to go, Mike McMahon. I gave it. Well, I guess I'll just give it a five because it was it was great.
3: So I decided to binge the season before watching the finale, and it was interesting to see the whole pack led story arc kind of develop over the season because. It was either a whole episode about it or a quick comment during one of the off episodes, you know, that so fast that you almost miss it. I have to say I was a little disappointed that the finale didn't address what was happening with the Klingons and the Pakleds. And instead, the finale was a whole different conflict, a whole different circumstance that pressured the Cerritos. Although it was cool to see Sonia Gomez back and, you know, a fun kind of what if why not Harry Kim? Sonia Gomez showed up in like two episodes in the early seasons of TNG. It's a fun callback. I don't hate it, but can we make Harry Kim a captain now? Like for
0: reals? No, because we saw Tom Paris this season. He's still a Lieutenant. Harry Kim's barely
3: just made it out of Ensign. Only just. No, I think it'd be funnier then if, if Harry Kim was a captain uh, above (laughs) Lieutenant Paris, I think that'd be hilarious, but that's me nitpicking really the whole thing about Sonia specifically to this episode. Again, Again, this is this is an episode that I could I really got behind. I could I was able to enjoy it. And not because it was high stakes and oh my gosh, explosions and whatnot, but again, it was a serious quote unquote plot that had humor injected into it, right? As a matter of fact, something I was talking about at the panel at New York Comic-Con, Kennedy and I started talking about Lower Deck specifically in I excretus the spread eagle thing. I liked it that there was nothing about this episode that was necessarily shock value. I'm not a big fan of shock value. If you're going to do something, have a point, have a purpose. And sometimes lower decks just goes for the shock value. And I just, well, to be fair, that moment had a
0: point, but they covered it up with a big black box.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose you're right. I suppose you're right. Little ship, but a big warp core. Oh, listen to that thrum. This episode I I could get behind and enjoyed because again it was it was a serious plot that had humor injected into it. I mean Shacks is I think my favorite character. I just I I love it when he just starts yelling things and especially when he's trying to be calm. <laughs>
4: What did he say on the bridge? I was laughing so hard. He's like, You're lucky I'm so spiritually centered or I'd snap! Yes! (laughs) When
3: they're they're all arguing about Freeman leaving.
4: There's something else he says on the bridge, too. I can't remember, but it was (laughs) such a Shaxism.
1: It
0: was about the phaser upgrades.
4: Shax, any
2: update on those phaser repairs?
1: No, and if there was an update, I would tell you. I wouldn't keep that information to myself. (laughs) I'm an open book!
3: (laughs) This episode, other than, you know, Sonia Gomez being an Easter egg for TNG fans, uh, I liked that all the latches for the hulls were the first contact, gotta lift it up, twist it, put it down, lift it up, twist it again the other direction, and then bring it back down. Uh, so that was a nice little callback to to first contact. Look, man, it, Rutherford and Tendi, will they, won't they? What's happening? We're two seasons now.
4: They're besties.
3: Uh, but, you know, Tendi, like, remember- There's more. Remember, we we had that episode they're, when they're on Orion. They're not getting-
4: there at this point. That's like a thing. But, whoa, what's going on with Rutherford, though, with the memory thing? That was awesome. That's right.
3: That's right. We had that little sneak peek, the the dark figures hovering over him as they were implanting the the
4: Section 31.
3: It could be. Could very well be. Which I thought was a nice setup. It was quick and, you know, memorable, but a decent setup. I hope that they don't drop the ball on that one because I think that could be really interesting. Now, with respect to Mariner, right? We haven't seen much growth from Mariner over the last two seasons. And she keeps butting heads with everybody. And again, same thing happened this episode. But uh, towards the end, she starts to chip away at that armor, right? She and Jennifer become friends. She kind of has a bit of a breakthrough with her mother. And Tendi, Boimler, and Rutherford stand up to her. And they say, no, enough is enough. We're gonna take care of this. Go go, be with your mom, kind of thing. I hope to see a little more of that. I, I'm i like Robert Hurt and, and Dr. Michael Chan. I'm a little tired of, of Mariner's attitude I guess is really what it boils down to it's not her armor is just getting in the way now right it's I'd like to see more growth from her but overall I think a solid season finale I think like you said Kat we got left off with a a really decent cliffhanger where we have to figure out what's going on and why Freeman was accused of bombing Pakled
2: What are the charges?
1: We have proof that you colluded with Klingon extremists to plant a Peruvian bomb in the Pakled capital city.
4: Well colluding with renegade Klingons now that yeah? What they said, renegade, playing on. So obviously, what's his face made it back to Kronos, and they're blame shifting.
3: Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. I mean,
4: maybe. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm so excited for season three now. I want to see it.
3: But you know, last thing I'll say is the cinematography and uh, animation was just amazing. You know, them going through the, <gasps> the explosions? explosions, the the yeah, that wow. that that was very reminiscent of Praxis, right? Or or the nexus exploding uh but then again when ransom is using his joystick to get through the field the asteroid field
4: the joystick of course yeah
3: those it was just beautiful colors it was a lot of beautiful colors and a a lot of great lighting and this and effects it was like it it honestly put Picard to shame it puts Picard to shame so overall I'd say I'll give it a 3.9 maybe a 4 I'll give it a 4 out of 5
0: well for me the fact that they didn't say computer engage manual steering column okay well that could have been done differently you could have put that in there totally and reminiscent a little bit of Star Trek into darkness and the heads up up display on the spacesuit that Kirk and Khan's character on their uh, space journey. Confirmed by Mike McMahon on Twitter, this is not an Excelsior class starship, the Archimedes. It's an Obina class starship which is named for their art director, Nolan Obina.
3: But it looks a lot like an Excelsior and a Sovereign had a baby though. Right, it's a sovereign. It looked like a sovereign saucer with sovereign nacelles, it does, and an Excelsior secondary hull. God, I'm a Star Trek nerd. I can't believe I was able to verbalize all of that. I
0: thought it was more of an Excelsior saucer, Excelsior engineering section, and sovereign nacelles. But (laughs) agree to disagree. You're wrong, but that's fine. Um, What I um, what I liked was I liked seeing Captain Sonia Gomez, that little moment where one of her um, crew tripped over and she's like, ha ha, let me tell you one day about tripping over and captains, and uh, Captain Picard, didn't mention him, but oh, yeah, we all know, we all remember.
3: Don't walk around with hot chocolate.
0: It's a nice little callback. I was kind of hopeful that she may come through and save the day partially, being such a, an awesome engineer uh, back in the day, but clearly she's uh, gone down the command track. This episode overall for me, I mean, this was big This was big scale, big story. It had everything that a season finale should have and a cliffhanger to boot, which was excellent. Really clever storytelling because for me watching it, I fully expected the captain to go. Yes, she had her reservations, but this is the promotion that she's been pushing for all season. So I expected her to want to go And she was hesitant. In the end, she's decided, no, actually, the Cerritos is where I want to be. And in that moment that's when she's whisked away so that's really great storytelling in terms of the roller coaster there was this build-up build-up will she won't she will she won't she and then it's no she won't but she's taken out away from by other factors outside of her control and i just thought that was excellent storytelling you want to talk about nudity in a star trek episode well let's talk about it okay we saw the uss cerritos like we've never seen it before there was no black bars was all uncensored and i you know what i'm not a fan of doing things for shock value (laughs) and i just don't i don't know i just it's not appropriate it's not appropriate to see full ample naked warp coils just there just there for everyone to see not everyone's okay with that where's the warning (laughs) Where's the warning on the episode? Because you don't want to see someone's deflector dish without consent. It's not right. So I think Twitter's going to go ballistic with this because it's not cool, man. It's not cool. One thing that is very cool is Cetacean Ops. More of that, please. That was just one of the absolute highlights of this episode. <laughs>
4: I still think they were whales because even Boimler says he survived whale pee. They have to be whales, even though they're horned dogs like dolphins are. But. <laughs>
0: You know? Maybe there's some sort of future wild dolphin hybrid that's super intelligent, and and that's what gets them into space. Yeah, I think
4: it's
3: their belu- beluga whales.
4: We need to v- confirm this. I feel like they're beluga whales because the tation are yeah yeah they're probably right.
3: they're probably they beluga be whales. whales. Although I still kind of bet that they're dolphins because I, I five bucks says it's a joke on uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because don't all the dolphins leave the planet just before? Yes, they do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just before.
0: Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) Yeah. One of the best really little moments in this show where I actually had to pause playback because I was laughing so hard is when Rutherford and Tendi are going through and just taking all those moments to visit all her favorite spots in the starship. And let's go to that really secret place. And Tendi says, the Rubber Ducky Room?
4: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
0: that is excellent. And look, if you're wondering what on earth is she talking about, so on one of the giant displays of the Enterprise-D, somewhere on the panel, very, very small, there was a little rubber duck graphic used in one of those giant displays.
4: I, I had never heard of this.
0: So that's that's the reference to the rubber duck room for me. What could have been done differently? Less nudity, obviously, um, because yeah, seeing a naked starship like that, it's offensive. But otherwise, again, I my complaint every single week. I don't know. I'm I'm I say this every week is what this show does well is not the big stakes stuff. The little stuff that really broadens out the universe, the behind the scenes, the fact that we see after the Archimedes is rescued, it's still in orbit with a bunch of other ships who've come in to help and reattach the warp nacelle. There's ships that have turned up, so you see the aftermath, and you see the world is just a little bit more richer, and so I always want to see more of that. So that's the only thing that could be done differently for me, is is seeing more of that, and we're getting more and more of that as the season goes on, and it really makes me look forward to Season 3. I'm giving this 5 out of 5. I can't fault it.
2: We just as good as any other f-ing class. Our warp works twice as f-ing fast as any other ship in the fleet! Whoa! Mr. Billups!
4: That wraps up this week's On Screen for Star Trek Lower Decks. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming.
2: Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See? We are getting to know each other.
3: Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages.
4: This week we polled captains to find out which of the Star Trek headlines from New York Comic-Con had you the most excited.
0: We asked you to vote for Ferengi, Disco Trailer, Prodigy Cast Announcement, or a wide-open something else. And you were pretty clear. 43.3% of you said you were most excited about the Prodigy Cast news. Another 33.3% voted for the Disco Trailer, and
3: 20% voted for the Ferengi. Just 3.3%. Voted something else. Actually, we didn't get a chance to talk about the Ferengi. It's amazing how fast people were like, Ugh, "Gross, Ferengi makeup redone, blah blah blah." And I don't think it's nearly as egregious as what they did to the Klingons in season one of Discovery. It is. It seems like a makeup evolution for for sure. Um, yeah, it's a little too batty for me. If you know, it's a little too much of like a bat head for me. The bat ears. It's a little uh-huh. yeah, they're yeah. big,
4: pointy and not rounded. I mean that's really the only but difference. But I'll tell
3: you how they can fix it. Just look, li- listen, listen. This is how you fix it. In one of the episodes, you have people in the old makeup next to people in the new makeup. Because if you live on planet Earth, we don't all look alike. Do we? So why should Ferengi all look alike? Why should the Klingons all look alike? You know what will shut people up from being silly about things like this? Is embrace the past and say, you know what? You know, let's make a species, a a whole planet. Let's show that there's diversity in each planet. Like I remember in season one of Star Trek Discovery, there was that scene where all the heads of the Klingon houses were all projected as a hologram on the on the sarcophagus ship, and they were all the new Klingons. And I said back then they could have easily fixed that by you know having one member of the house look like a TNG Klingon or a, or a motion picture Klingon, and maybe one that's st- that doesn't have the ridges at all. Maybe they still have the virus or something like that. But I, I think that would be a great way of. Embracing the past and also showing that there is diversity within the alien species because no two Ferengi all look alike, right? They don't. They don't necessarily need to look alike. Uh,
0: never- yeah, for me, the the going back to the the Klingons in Discovery season one, my minor irk was that it didn't make it didn't make sense in the context of where we were in that period of time um, because you want it to fit in with uh, the original series. This takes place before the original series, so for me that. That didn't quite make sense, and that's why they'd always felt jarring. But then again, there's literally nothing I can do to change that, so that's fine. That's okay. That that was just a choice that the showrunners made. Okay, I'm still going to watch the show. Um, for me, the Ferengi and a different look to the makeup makes sense because, A, it's a thousand years in the future. It's in an entirely different time period. So someone someone's species looking a little bit different would kind of make sense. And also prosthetics are probably a lot better to work with the technologies evolved over the course of 20 30 40 55 years so that's fine it, they look different that's that's okay and also there is
3: literally nothing that I can do about that so I'm gonna watch it anyway there's something you can do about it Roscoe you can give a criticism about it a constructive piece of criticism and perhaps mm-hmm. the artists that produce the show will say you know what maybe we should introduce x y and z the way it has been suggested. Maybe we shouldn't have a ship that's bigger on the inside.
0: Yeah. And look, obviously, Michelle Paradise, when you're listening to this, because obviously, um, big fan of the Priority One podcast, um, she will take all of of our feedback on board, but at the end of the day they're making creative choices that work for the story and work with the technology they have and the budget they have and all that kind of stuff that they have to take into account on a television program that we thoroughly enjoy. So, it's great. I can't wait to see what this Ferengi Cap Gets up to in the 32nd century.
4: Were they a captain? Sure,
0: why not? No, oh,
4: I'm like, well, I didn't know that was clear. I mean, it didn't bother me. I'm, yeah, I'm just like, I just want to see a good story, and you know, it didn't veer too much. It wasn't as jarring to me. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's in the future, Ferengi future. Ferengi, they could look different.
3: They cross pollinate.
4: Exactly. Exactly. Captain BG2301 also said on Twitter, "Honestly, I'm looking forward to Prodigy more than I thought I would. I get a feeling from the team that's working on it that." they are fans of Star Trek 2 and I can't wait.
0: We also asked this week what everyone thinks of the new 32nd Century Kirk class coming to Star Trek Online.
4: From Facebook, David Emerson answered, I like the look, except the thin engineering section looks great from above and not so much from below.
3: Also from Facebook, Simon Corbet says, It's okay, but sadly, hidden behind loot box gambling. And over on Twitter,
0: Captain bg 2301 agreed, saying, I don't know honestly it's not my favorite of the 32nd century ships the console seems really cool but it's not worth the smallest chance of winning the ship from a dumb box
3: well that wraps up episode 527 of priority one a roddenberry star trek podcast but there are more great shows available to you on the roddenberry podcast network just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends.
4: And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch.
3: Captains,
0: it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment or a voice message on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash podcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePodcast. Priority one
4: and if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, Gray, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stowe players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit Priority One Armada.com.
3: This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. We are incredibly grateful for the ongoing support that we receive from our Patreon family. To find out how you can contribute to the show, visit us at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One.
0: And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the attractive folks at the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favourite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to Heroes risepodcast.com
3: to discover their secrets thanks to our audio editors this week our intro and closing segments were edited by william trek it out was edited by alex Gaming by Rand. And on screen by Roscoe. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Alejandro, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to our social media managers, Sarah and James. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible
4: enemy ship on sensors
3: red alert ready weapons engage, engage. This week, Roscoe, is going to be to talk about the Gagarin On uh, give your review on next week's episode.
4: I thought that was my assignment, oh, I, thought, I, I already did oh, you had, so I don't remember
3: who had what ship.
4: Because <laughs> you assigned that. I who I, who I, I told you in
3: text. I don't remember what ship it was. I said, I, I, I was honest about it.
4: The console was badly...
3: Badly damaged.
4: <laughs> badly damaged, you hear?
3: <laughs> don't you know?
4: The console was badly damaged and missing most missing. of its buttons after 50...
3: You said misting.
4: misting. <laughs>
0: you said misting. It's not misting. It's misting.
4: Been... Well, no wonder it was damaged then.
0: Yeah, got water on it.
4: this is a big. Rottenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.